The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. This week on Buckets, Boards, and Blocks, we're talking double standards between NBA players and NBA management with a guest who has been on both sides of the debate. But first, Darlene, let's run it. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt and King McClure is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Monica is a former Georgetown Hoyer who likes nothing better than a three in transition and thinks DC ballers are the smartest. King is a former 3 and D Baylor baller whose idea of a good time is locking down the other team's best scorer. Monica, King, let's do this. Welcome to Buckets, Boys and Blocks. I'm King McClure and with my co-host, Monica McNutt. As we record this show on Wednesday, February 17th here in Texas, it feels like I am in Antarctica. Not even joking because we probably have about 10 inches of snow on the ground. Everything is closed and there's a lot of ice on the roads. I've been snowed in for three days. I have not been having a great time. Just that's the least I'm going to say. So, Monica, how was it in the DMV? (laughs) Um, Wow, that's that's super wild. We're doing okay with our cold weather, mostly because we know how to prepare for these things. As it appears, Texas has no idea. No idea. We're in Texas. We don't we don't get snow. Like ten inches of snow. That's like nobody. So it's kind of like almost like COVID. Like nobody thought this was gonna happen. Nobody would have ever thought in a million years this much snow would ever be in Texas. Um. Okay. Well, with that said, let's get your mind off of the frigid, terrible temperatures in Texas and into this week's guest and pod. But but first, first you got to check out this sound to watch Andre Drummond before the game. Uh sit on the sideline, then go to the back, and then come out in street clothes because a team is going to trade him, it's bull Because when James Harden asked for a trade and no one's going to fight back that James was dogging it his last days in Houston. But he was castrated for wanting to go to a different team and everybody destroyed that man. And yet a team can come out and say, oh, we want to trade a guy and then that guy is to go sit. And if he doesn't stay professional, then he's a cancer and he's not good in someone's locker room. And he's the issue because as a player, you're the worst person in the world when you want a different situation. But a, but a team can say they're trading you and that man is to stay in shape. He is to stay professional. And if not, his career is on the line. Well, well, well. That was Draymond Green on Monday night pointing out what many feel are the double standards between NBA management and the players themselves. So we're going to take a deep dive into this topic with a man who has been on both sides as a player, coach, and general manager. He's the host of Dave's Front Office here at Pure Hoops Media, and we're super excited to have him. Welcome, Dave Wall. Dave, thanks for hanging out with us. I'm looking forward to it. All right, so um, let's jump right in. At... It's most basic. Does Draymond have a point? Oh, I think he's. I think he's hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's clearly, uh, to me, it's a it's a black and white issue sprinkled with some shades of gray in between. But it's clearly a double standard. 
Um, what usually happens when a team talks about trading a player, the team is seen kind of as the good guy. Well, we're doing it to make the team better. We're doing it to win more games. We're doing it to, you know, in the best interests of the team. However, when a player asks to be traded, he's seen as the bad guy. He's ruining the chemistry of the team. He's, he's not living up to um, why they brought him here. You know, he's, he's, he's the guy that's letting his teammates down. So right away, there's these two sides to it, but one guy, the player is seen as the bad guy and the team is seen as doing the right thing, the good thing. And it's, it's been that way for, for a long, long time. And I think uh, Draymond just exposed the, the reasons why it's totally unfair to, to have it continue this way. So when I, when I hear Draymond and I hear his thoughts, now I kind of view it as like almost a two part issue. I mean, when he says people, it, like the players are castrated and they're made to look at such bad people. Do you think that's more so management or do you think that's the media? Um, I, I think I think the media definitely plays a part in it because look, we all know and, and you guys know it's it's 24 7 365 with the media. Um, and and it's not just like one voice of the media, there's all voices cascading in on how they view it and they all have their biases towards it. Um, but, but again, the, the team always kind of is able to put it as we're doing the right thing for the team. It's a, it's a larger thing we're, we're, we're shaping here, where the player is almost like, oh, you're not happy with your deal. You're not happy here. You're being selfish. And, and so I, I do think it becomes those two extremes. The, the shades of gray I was talking about is, okay, let's say you're a team and you've decided in this instance, you're going to sit Andre Drummond. You're not going to play Andre, okay? Because you feel Jared Allen's going to be a better player. Is this something that Andre had any voice in? Like when he sat down, did they offer him to uh, be able to play reduced minutes? Or did he, did he take the path of, I'd rather not play at all if I'm going to play reduced minutes? I mean, what did the player, like what, what voice did he have in this decision? Because clearly a team could just say, hey, we're not gonna play you anymore. And so the, the shades of gray sometimes are like, okay, was this a mutual decision once the team decided this was the path they wanted to go? Because a player, really, once you sign your contract, the team has the power over your minutes, the style of play a coach is gonna play you, and a number of other things. That's just inherent in the contract. The only thing they really are supposed to do is pay you on time and treat you respectfully and, and you know, try and build a good team. Okay, Dave, so I guess for me, it begs the question, is there a solution? I, I think it's really hard because even if, even if the team, let's say the team wasn't allowed to um, say they were gonna sit a player to trade them, okay? You and I both know that as soon as that player is sitting down anyway, and he's not dressed, <laughs> the media is gonna come in and ask a million questions of Andre or the team, they're eventually going to have to say, yeah, we're, we're sitting him so we can trade him. So it gets to that issue very quickly. Um, I, I don't know what the, the answer is because players have much more power now. And, and I see that as a good thing. You, you earn it. If, if you've got the power because you're an elite player and you're stuck on a bad team or a team that's going to be rebuilding and you're at a phase in your career where you don't want to deal with rebuilding, maybe you've been there for a couple of years, and you're trying to use your power to get somewhere else. I don't. I don't think that's a bad thing. It happens in society every day, in other jobs and other professions. But I don't know that there's an easy way to take the stigma off when a player asks for it, as opposed to how a team does it. But I don't think. 
I don't think a team should be allowed to say, you know, um, the things that a player can't say. Like if a player wants mm -hmm. to ask for a trade, there shouldn't be a fine involved or something, something like that. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Uh, that's a great point. Because when we looked at like the bubble, and NBA bubble, you know, you saw a lot of players being able to use their voice uh, to basically impact like change and impact social justice and speak on stuff like that. But then when it comes down to, you know, I want to be traded or saying something like that, it's almost like, come on now, like what, what, come, come on now, how, how silly is this? But is so, but to King's point though, Dave, is there a, and I guess this is where media hawks would be all over it, could there be an internal conversation? that saves space for everybody? Or is that not how it goes? Because you got to put pressure on an organization. For example, New Orleans didn't want to trade Anthony Davis maybe, but by taking it to the media, it was out there. Well, Monica, I think it's a great point because I think that's the first step. Like if I'm a player or I'm an agent of a player, the first thing I want to do if he wants to be traded, I want to go have a private conversation with the GM or the president of the team and say, hey, look, this just isn't working for my guy. You know, you guys have chosen to rebuild. He could go to a number of playoff teams and help them. He's at that stage of his career. Um, why don't you guys pursue some trade options? And I think that's the initial way to, to do it. Now, sometimes a team will just say, well, we're not going to trade him. And I think any agent or player who finds that roadblock put up they look for other avenues and they have more avenues than they had in the past, clearly. And I think those are the avenues they use. But I do think the first step is to try and solve that internally, just like if there's a, a player who has a problem, um, he's not getting enough minutes from a coach or something. The, the way to solve that to me is going to talk to the coach, open those lines of communications. You guys have a discussion. Don't have your agent try and go talk to the GM and then the GM talk to the coach and then the coach talk back to the GM and back to the agent. And it's like playing telephone. It never comes back what really happened. And I, I, when I worked for Doc Rivers as um, his assistant and, and the GM at times, that's, that was Doc's policy. If I got a call from an agent and, hey, what's going on with my player? He's not playing. I would say, here's Doc's number. Doc wants you to call him. And, he, and the agent would usually go, what do you mean? He'd say, well, either you can call him or he'd rather have your player come in and talk to him because that way he can actually have a conversation with your player and they can try and figure out the, the solution to it. But so I do think I would agree with you. That's the first step. I, I don't know after that step happens, how long do you wait when a team is not really actively trying to move you? Hmm. I mean, I, we, we talked a little bit about like basketball back when you were playing, like in the 70s and the 80s. I, I mean, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong. I just don't think things like this happened back then. And if they did, how did how were they handled back then as opposed to now? Yeah. Well, back then, nobody had any leverage. Um, in fact, until the Oscar Robertson suit that was solved in the late 70s, um, players couldn't even become free agents. There was an option clause in your contract that essentially kept you tied to that team basically forever. And players weren't making the kind of money where they had they had leverage to like demand a trade, and and so the power was all all in the ownership back then. It really it really was, and what has evolved since that free agency lawsuit um, was solved back then, players have have gradually started to assume more and more power. And look, I again I might be in the minority, but I think it's a great thing if I'm a player. And I have a friend who's a great player and I wanna go on his team and I've, I've paid my dues. I'm at the free agent point of my contract. I've done everything I could for my team. 
I should be able to, you know, talk to him and let's go put a, a championship team together. The other thing is, though, if you're under contract, how do I get out of that contract to be traded to that team? And the elite players have that power now. And, and I think it's a great thing because teams used to try and do the same thing. They just did it through trades. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, so it was like, OK, the team's doing the good thing. The players are doing the bad thing. They're trying to get together and build a championship team by themselves. How dare they? Yeah. <laughs> you know, sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. It, it, but even that feels like it has shifted. My point of reference on that is Boston when they did it. It, it feels like that has shifted so much and it has become the norm. Like teams stack their books so that they can have multiple stars to create the super team. Yeah, so much of it is structuring your cap, your salary cap now, so you can afford those kind of contracts because the top guys, you know, you're, they're in the 40 million a year plus at the end of those contracts. So you have to be able to do those contracts. When I was playing in the 70s, the difference between the minimum player and the minimum salary back then was 19,000 a year. And the top players through the probably the mid 70s were making, like I think Jerry West was making 90,000. Wilt might've been making 250. Um, so the difference between the bottom paid guy and the top paid guy might've been $250,000, okay? Well, now it could be 40 something million and a million. So there's a whole different tier. You know, there's a bunch of tiers now. Um, to give you an example with the Andre Drummond situation, if that was just a minimum player who was the starting center for them until they got Jared Allen, there'd be no uproar about this. That kid would go back to the bench. He'd sit there. He might not play. He'd be happy to be in the NBA. He wouldn't be worried about, you know, his next, you know, free agent contract or something. But Andre, in, in this situation, it's, it's really different because if he has to sit, first of all, he can't be on the court showing value. Mm -hmm. okay? and, and look, he's like second leading rebounder, I think, in the league. And he's, he's shown that he can be an elite player at times in this league. Um, so he's sitting for the rest of the season. But what, ha what happens if by March 25th, they can't trade him? Mm. Now yeah. what happens? Does he sit for the rest of the season? Do they ask him to come back now and play a few minutes? Um, what if Jared Allen gets hurt? And now Andre's been sitting for three or four weeks. Do they ask him to come back? I mean, you get into all these other situations that you know you might not have thought all the way through because what he wants to do, because he's going to be a free agent next year, is he wants to show value. He wants to keep his value up. And it's really hard to do that if you're sitting for two months. And, and when you're Go ahead. I'm sorry, Monica. No, I, I, you kind of mentioned it, Dave, because you said we're talking about different tiers of guys. So I, are we making too much of nothing? Because that tier of guy that can say publicly, I want to trade and the organization has to oblige is what? What are we talking about? About 30 guys, maybe? If yeah, that? maybe. <laughs> Probably less than that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so, I mean, I get this. Draymond arguably is one of those guys, right? Like, and I think right. that this is a thoughtful conversation. But when we look at the league as a whole, which I think guys like CP3 and LeBron do a good job right. of kind of taking macro perspectives, is like, is, does it warrant a change, I guess, becomes the question. Well, I, I think you've hit it too, right? Because there, there's only a so, so many players that can ask that. I know when I was playing, if I went in and told the, the, <laughs> the ownership, hey, trade me, um, I doubt they would have lost a moment's sleep over this. I really do. They wouldn't have been up night like, hey, let's have a meeting and figure this one out, you know? But the elite players that, and, and this is what may happen too, the elite players that have trade value, like in James Harden's case, they know James had trade value. Mm 
-hmm. They're not sure Andre does because he's on the last year of his deal, which means now you got to decide if you can, whatever you're going to give up for him, can you keep him the next year? Are you just giving away something and he's not even going to stay with you? So you get into all these other little factors that are about value and things like that. But I, other than the elite players, and maybe there's a few other that are in the mid range that are just keys to certain teams. Um, a lot of players that might want to ask for a trade, it's okay. Yeah, we'll think about it. No, I don't think we're going to do it. I don't think it's going to really, you know, rock the boat, but the standard itself is what's unfair. I think the yeah. fact that a player could be fined or a player's thought of as the bad guy, or, you know, he's letting his teammates down as opposed to the team, which is rebuilding and doing the right thing and all that. That's what I think is really unfair about the, um, this. I'd agree. I'd agree. I, I think it's kind of funny, just me personally, because everybody always, you know, gives Draymond Green a tough time because he's so outspoken. He's so verbal with his feelings. And, but like, when you really think about it, dude actually makes a whole lot of sense. Like he actually brings a lot of stuff to the table that a lot of people are just scared to say, like nobody else probably would have said this, but Draymond Green, I feel like we got to put more respect on his name because he says those things that everybody's feeling, but nobody wants to vocalize. Well, especially on this one, I just I just thought he really made a strong point. I thought he made the right point. And, you know, when you're on when you're on a different side of the fence, you have the players and you have the owners. And I think Adam Silver has done a, a great job. And, and um, uh, Michelle Roberts, who's with the Players Association, they've done a great job at lowering the temperature, working together and doing a lot of things. But it's still which side of the pot you're on, so to speak. And um, in this situation, again, when you're you're making the players out to be the bad guys, or you're going to take money from them, or something like that, but a team's not getting fined for saying this. Um, again, I just think it sets up a bad precedent. Hmm. I, I mean, yeah, I, I agree with you, Dave. I'm curious about this though, and King, you could probably get chime in too. Um, what happens to the the teams when this happens, right? Like, AD. Anthony Davis, Andre Drummond, any superstar, they have this rift with management, they want to leave. But you've still got 11 guys on a roster. I'm just always so fascinated by the entire dynamic of all of it. Well, most of the time, if you have a player of, let's say, Harden or AD or, you know, some KD or somebody like that, the trade is going to net you a lot of stuff. You know, you can you can put it under the Christmas tree, so to speak. There's going to be draft picks and packages to open. And, you know, it was like when the Clippers got Paul George and Kawhi. I mean, they had to put in a ton of first round picks. Um, it's when you get to the lesser guys, like I don't know what they'll get for Andre. And like I said, what if nobody wants to take on Andre's salary for the rest of the year or they don't want to take back what they'd have to, to give? Um, so it really becomes... You've decided you're, most of the teams like that, they're probably rebuilding. They're going to get draft picks. They're going to be able to use these things either in trades or to rebuild through the draft. So they're happy in that sense that, okay, we got value back for AD. AD goes to the Lakers. He gets what he wants. So it's like, okay, we both had a win-win here. You know, I don't know what happens to Andre or when you'll be able to judge it as a win-win because what happens when you're sitting too and the team knows that you're sitting because they're going to trade you or let you go is, is you become less part of that team. You're not as invested. The team knows you're not invested because um, you're not playing, you're not helping them. And, and so it affects chemistry in a lot of ways. And I think it makes the player feel lousy. Like I gave you my all, I fulfilled my side of the, the contract. 
but now you want me really still to come to the games and be a good guy. Like Draymond points out, I got to stay in shape. Well, what am I staying in shape for? You told me I'm not going to play. Oh, I'm staying in shape for the next team mm-hmm. that I'm going to play. So I've got two and a half months of no competition to, to keep sharp. And I've just got to go in with the strength trainer and, uh, and work out. Yeah. So there's real some real unfairness on both sides on this, but hopefully with his case, at least it was discussed and they both felt comfortable with how they arrived at an ending. And I don't know that we'll ever know that until Andre decides to, you know, come on your show and tell us in sometime in the future. <laughs> Please, Andre, you are most welcome. Is, is it indefinite though, Dave? Like the team can sit him until, like we, we know the trade deadline will come if it comes right. and goes. My thought last night was maybe if there was a, you can sit a guy a week out from a trade being finalized or something, like some sort of middle ground. I don't know. Well, what a team could do is they could just say, okay, you're still going to dress, but we're just not going to play you. It's like the guys at the end of the bench, the 13, yeah. 14, 15th guy, they don't play, but they don't have any voice in going to management and saying, hey, you got to play me, you know? Right. So they could do that to Andre within the rules. It's when you send a guy home, I think, when he's under contract, if he doesn't want to go, you get into some legal arguments. But again, when you're now, you're on that bench and you, you, you're you used to playing and you still have those competitive urges and you know you're gonna, you still wanna play. He's only 27, I think. So it's not like he's a 36 year old guy that nobody's gonna want. I, I think it's really hard psychologically, much more psychologically for the player. And especially if he's got friends on the team that he's made, you know, they feel bad for him, but you know, they know they have to move on. So it's just, a, it's a tough situation mentally. I can definitely see where you're coming from, for sure. It is, I guess, I don't know. I mean, we're solution-oriented, Dave, and we've you definitely acknowledged all the different facets of this conversation. I don't know. I, I, and I, I also go back to what we said about it, this being a very small percentage of guys that demand this sort of hubba baloo. But I do want to ask you this, um, because you've obviously been on all sides of it. Um, you are one that seems to be for, for, for player empowerment. I guess the biggest flex in terms of player empowerment is now Michael Jordan as um, one of the owners. Um, well, I'm curious, which player do you think was the first player to lead the way in terms of shifting the dynamic in the relationships between players and management? And we've got Michael listen, listed, Bill Russell, Magic Johnson, or LeBron James. So I would tell you all those guys are in second place, third place, fourth place, and fifth place. The guy that changed the game for the players was Oscar Robertson. Again, I mentioned earlier, filing that lawsuit. Yeah. Essentially opened the way for free agency. So if you think about players went from making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, and when free agency finally got through the legal morass, all of a sudden now you got guys that at the end of their contract, they can go wherever they want. They can go to any team they want. And the money has gotten, you know, it's generational wealth by far now. That was the guy that paved the way. Now there were, there were stumbling blocks along the way. The owners kept fighting it. Um, but that's the guy that paved the way for a lot of the other players to, you know, be able to acquire large contracts, move on to different teams. Um, I thought it made the players union stronger too. So I, I think Oscar was like the forerunner. I think the people that you've mentioned have ones that have kept up that legacy of, you know, we're going to use our status to keep, you know, advocating for player rights, player power, and players getting their fair share. Yeah, it's it's such 
it's a big responsibility. And so I, I definitely have to familiarize myself with the Robertson deal because I did not know that. Um, now, before we let you go, Dave, it's been an exciting NBA season so far. Oh, my goodness. It's, so, it's the craziest one. Okay. So, King, you know we got to get some insider. In, where, where do you want to go with this, King? Because I want to hear Dave's perspective on this particular. Do I want to go just favorites with you, Dave? Or do I want to go a little bit more nuanced than that? Tell me what you think is going to happen in the East, Dave. Oh, the East. That's a that's an interesting one. Um, I, I don't think Boston's playing as well as everybody thought. Um, and I think what it what it showed for Boston was that uh, Marcus Smart is really important to them. You know, the grit, the the toughness, the defensive ability. He's been shooting the ball better. I, I think they really miss him. Um, so I don't know where Boston really is right now. Um, I, I like what Doc has done in Philly so far. And um, the other night in Houston, what I saw was really interesting when Embiid couldn't play because of the back tightness. Basically, Ben Simmons played the five and was unstoppable. He ended up with 42, I think, that night. Now, that's not a lineup they're going to play all the time, but Doc may even have a chance now at times, instead of going to Dwight Howard as a backup when he takes um, Embiid out, just let Ben stra uh, stagger some minutes and play at five. I mean, he was taking everybody to the rim. He was scoring, got to the foul line like 12 or 13 times. Um, so I think Philly's got a chance because I've been around Doc as a coach. I think they'll be in the mix in the East. Um, I think Milwaukee's a little disappointed in their season. I don't like their bench as much um, as I did. So I, I think the, you know, the East, I, I think I'm missing probably somebody. Who am I missing in the East? Nets. Nets, yeah. <laughs> um, I, look, if they can figure out how to defend a little better. A little well, bit, right? A little bit. Well, you know, when you can score, when you can throw 140 on the board every night, all you got to hold teams is to 139. So, I, I mean, it's not like they have to become Tom Thibodeau's defensive aces. You know, they just have to learn how to, how do I think, do some really fundamental things correctly because they're another team that I, I think in the playoffs, they could get on a run in the playoffs and just start throwing astronomical numbers. Harden seems to be taking on the point guard role now. Kyrie seems okay with that. KD seems okay with that. So if they can figure out their roles, I think they'll even be better offensively because they can use some of the other guys, Joe Harris and some of the other guys a little better. Mm. So on the flip side, let's go to the West. Are the Jazz legit? Are, are, is this real? or? Hey, talk to me, please. Or, or, I'm yeah. in on the Jazz. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, at the risk of, of getting hate mail from the Jazz, <laughs> I, I, love the, I love their team. Good team. I don't think they're a championship team. I, I think if the Lakers are healthy and the Clippers are healthy, I think both of those teams are, are going to be the teams that fight it out in the West. And one of the things that's interesting with the Clippers, um, you know, no team, or I'm sorry, four, I think four or five teams at most in the last 50 years won a title the first year they signed elite free agents. Um, you know, so signing Kawhi and Paul, the odds were against them winning their first year. I think they're ready this year because now you have to develop chemistry. You figured out your roles. You hate the fact that you lost. So I think the Clippers are playing really well. I think if the Lakers are healthy and AD is healthy, it's going to be one of those two teams in the West. I, I like Utah. I love the way they play. I just don't think they're there. <laughs> oh, I, got letter, I got a letter from Utah already. No. <laughs> I'm so in on Utah. They've got all, I will say my big concern with Utah has been foot speed. Like, yeah, y'all play terrific defense, but even the best defense, better offense just makes you look, the offense isn't the lead. Like they have the choice. Um, 
Oh man, Dave. And, I, and the thing is, Monica, I love their team. I just don't think it's not like they're they're terrible or they're going to drop out or get beat in the first round. I just think they're 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 a notch behind in those two other teams. Yeah. And when it comes down to the end of the game, it's going to be interesting. Um, you know how they can win. Is Donovan Mitchell going to be able to carry them at the end of the game? You know, is Conley going to be healthy and able to carry them? You know, uh, so they're like my third team in the West, and the team I'm kind of disappointed in, and maybe they get hot later, has been really Dallas. Yeah, I thought Dallas was going to take a step up this year. About, man. Definitely. What's going on with them? I, I honestly don't know. Um, I thought they were going to take a step forward this year, and Denver again. I thought the two guys they they lost are really parts of of their their top eight, and uh, I don't know. You know, they're playing up and down a little bit. They're on a little winning streak, then they lose. But I don't know if they're good enough either. I think it's really the two L.A.s and then Utah. So what will it take for Dallas? I'm a Dallas guy. What's it going to take for Dallas to get over that hump? Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't have an answer for that one, King, because I've only watched them on and off. And the games I've seen them, they've just, they've just struggled. Getting Kleber back, I think, really helps them. You know, if you look, Rick's had to juggle starting lineups, uh, Porzingis is back now. Maybe they just need some time with all their guys back healthy again. But I love the way they were playing up in the bubble last year at the end. You know, they gave the Clippers a real battle. And Doncic is, wow, Doncic is just phenomenal. Um, so I, I just don't know what the problem is right now. Maybe it's just, you know, the whole bubble thing again. Dave, as you look, though, in all your years of NBA experience and expertise in different roles, how much do you think COVID is playing a factor? I mean, I get it. These guys are professionals and many of them have said that at different points, but it's different. It's odd. Like we're, they're operating, we're all operating in a pandemic. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's, it's hard to look at this year and try and figure out what a normal day is. I mean, a normal day for players is tons of tests. You stay in your hotel room in Orlando. You just stayed in the hotel room. Um, it's like a rolling bubble now. I mean, you can't go out to restaurants, you can't mingle with players of other teams or your own teammates very long, and it's six feet apart. Um, you know, we weren't meant to be that far apart from our friends and, and coworkers and everything. So I think there's mental health issues that are going to evolve from this. I, I think you've seen 30 postponements already. I don't know where they reschedule those on the backside. I, I think there's a, there seem to be, and I don't have the you know, I hope I won't get a call from the NBA because I don't have the stats right. There seem to be a lot of injuries early. You're seeing every night, not only a COVID contact person being out, but bruised knee missing two games, sprained ankle missing two games. You know, there just seem to be a lot of guys that are getting beat up early because the season, if you think about it, you know, it's only really a month and a half old. You know, December 22nd, isn't that when they started? So you're talking about really, you know, you're getting to the point maybe two months old and there, there seem to be a lot of guys beat up. There's a lot of the, you know, the trying to deal with the COVID. And I think you saw it in the all-star game. Most of the time guys that would be selected to the all-star game love to go to the game, but now, Hey, can, I can have five days off with my family. Are you kidding me? So I think it's, I think it's really hard. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how I would have done um, going through this. You know, or it's just a it's a whole extra load on you mentally um, that you have to deal with every single day if you're trying to follow all the protocols. It is so true. Well, Dave, thank you. So what, King, got any more questions? <laughs> all right, I was real. 
Dave, thank you so much for spending time with us. Dave's front office, you know, we got to plug your pod. Um, <laughs> Dave's front office can be heard right here on Pure Hoops Media. And your recent guest was a very unplugged, we got to check this one out, King, Doc Rivers. I'm sure that it was a great listen. How long have you and Doc been friends? I've probably known Doc since uh, his junior year at Marquette, so probably close to 40 years. Oh, wow. We definitely got to check that pot out. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Dave. Well, thank you. Well, thanks for inviting me. I enjoyed it. That was dope. Time to wrap things up for this week. Thanks to our guest and Pure Hoops Media teammate, Dave Wall, host of Dave's Front Office. Thanks also to our producer, Bruce Bernstein, and to our editor, Kristen Woolley. Please check out our other... Pure Hoops Media shows. This week, Mike Wise has Pelicans coach Stan Van Gundy. Ooh, a heavy hitter. And he is just as outspoken as ever, especially about his team's lack of defense. Full Court with Fisher and Kay has the best in college hoops each Tuesday. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Otto and Aaron has Tom Haberstroth of True Hoop with a great discussion of Anthony Davis, the Utah Jazz, and the Philadelphia 76ers. BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman have the Pure Hoops podcast on Friday. And I'm back with King next Thursday with buckets, boards, and blocks. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. So our big hope for this year is that every person on this planet can get the COVID vaccine so that we can finally put an end to this pandemic. We've been here too long. Unfortunately, we are not there yet. So please protect yourself and do the necessity, like wearing your mask, Washing your hands, that is an absolute just like normal routine you should be partaking in every single day. And being considerate, also social distancing. Don't forget about that one. And do not forget our medical professionals when you say your prayers because they are in the front lines and they're truly heroes. So until next week, Monica, I'll try to do my best drum roll. I said your drum roll was the worst. I was trash. But look, Monica, do the honors, please. Enjoy your hoops. (laughs) Buckets, Boards and Blocks with Monica McNutt and King McClure is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.